The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to a monster edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, AFLW expert and coach to Irish Aussie Rules pros, Mike Curran is back with all the latest AFLW news, including updates on Blaheen Macken, Eilish Considine, Breedstack and Cora Staunton. The Big Red Bench's Formula 1 expert, Sarah McKenzie, reviews the 2022 Montreal GP from Canada. Munster Women's Rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan is on the bench to discuss an historic week for women's rugby both inside and outside the province. Cork at their TG Carroll All-Ireland LGFA Senior Football Championship off to a winning start against Donegal and the bench was on hand to get all the reaction from players and management plus we preview Cork's upcoming All-Ireland Under-16 semi-final with Cavan. It's also a massive weekend for Cork and Mogi with the county's senior, intermediate and under-16 squads in All-Ireland Championship action. I spoke to all the managers involved ahead of a pivotal weekend for Cork adult and underage Camogie teams. That's all to come on this week's Monster Women in Sport podcast. AFLW Ireland expert and coach to current and former Irish Aussie Rules professionals Mike Curran is back on this week's Big Red Bench to talk about Blaheen Macken making the move to AFLW from Armagh LGFA. Ailish Considine, Correspondent and Breed Stacks re-signings, the upcoming AFLW draft and much, much more. Well, it's that time of the week again. The new AFLW season uh, is in pre-season mode, but the headlines just keep on coming. We are delighted here on the Big Red Bench to have a resident AFLW expert and coach to current and former and future Irish uh, Aussie Rules players. And that's Mike Cran. Mike, welcome back again. How are you? Evening, Jared. Great. Delighted to be back on again for another week. Another week and you're straight, you've come to us straight from uh, a pitch somewhere unknown, unknown uh, pitch, uh, top secret. Uh, what has been happening? How much can you tell us of what's been happening? Oh, look, there's, there's great excitement, I suppose. Yeah, well, we've just done a session today now. We had six of the Irish AFLW players there. Fantastic day. We did about five hours, but unbelievable. Like just the buzz amongst the players. Um, we had a couple of the new girls there that aren't even announced yet, but we had a few of the existing girls and, and the help that they're giving to the new girls and the exchange of information and the encouragement and the support. It, the whole thing is just fantastic to see. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the Irish players are all big one team amongst themselves and the way they're helping each other out and, and looking out for each other. But yeah, everybody's buzzing. You know, the players are starting to take flight. Ashley Sheridan headed for Collingwood yesterday. Uh, Grace Kelly is heading to St Kilda this Friday. Um, a couple of the, the other girls are going to fly out across the next week or two. Eric O'Shea potentially going on Monday or Tuesday. So, um, bodies are starting to get on planes and head over now so everything's getting very real and very exciting and um, building up towards them all being over there across the next three or four weeks potentially Yes, it is a very exciting time for the players it's a very exciting time for their families very, you know, I suppose a difficult time saying goodbye to them but this is the chance of a lifetime um, never before have we seen this number of volume of Irish players heading over to Australia to become professionals and be paid properly as well which is the big thing I think going into season 7.0 but on top of all of that Mike Blaheen Macken, one of Armagh's finest talk to me about her and the biggest week of her life yeah, I, that was definitely the news of the week, I suppose, and absolutely thrilled and delighted for Blaine. Obviously, I've been working with her myself for the last year, exploring AFLW opportunities for her with all the clubs and helping her through the whole process. And she has been officially announced and confirmed as a Melbourne Demons player for season seven. So that's amazing news. She's going to join up with Chanel Godrick over there. But look at a brilliant player going to a brilliant club and a nicer person off the pitch you couldn't meet. I mean, 
talk about a sports mad family, the Mackins. I, I was up there for a full day with the Mackins a couple of weeks ago, and they've got four intercounty senior intercounty players amongst the siblings, two other sisters that that two boys and two girls, two other sisters that are sports mad, mom and dad, nieces and nephews, partners. I tell you, when the Mackins head to a to a game to support our mad, they need they need a minibus, but. Yeah, absolutely elated, I suppose, a sports madhouse, and they're delighted and thrilled to see Blind headed over to Melbourne, heading over to a great club, obviously, and she's delighted herself. Um, we've been working that for a while, so it's come to fruition. It's been officially announced, and she's going to play out the, the rest of the LGFA season with her mad ladies, and obviously they'll be hoping to go a long way in that, and realistically then we'll probably be heading to Australia around the first few days of August I'd say but yeah that was definitely the biggest news of the week and um, thrilled and delighted to have been involved and to have helped and uh, all the fun stuff starts now in terms of the logistics that nobody sees like visas and guard checks and CVs and flights and accommodation and all that sort of stuff but there's huge support at all the clubs not just at Melbourne for any of the girls going over like the, the support network that's there is brilliant they're all looked after so well they're going to get off the plane in whatever city they go to, be it Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, and be taken to their accommodation and ready to probably hit training the following day or two when they get over a bit of jet lag. But yeah, very exciting and brilliant for Blind. And can't wait to see her teaming up with um, Sinead Goldrick at Melbourne, one of the top teams. And I've no doubt she's going to take to it like a duck to water. She's going to be brilliant. Uh, you mentioned those two names. I know quite a bit about Arma from my LGFA writing circles and what a team they are and what a chance they've got this year as well. They held me, the All-Ireland Champions, to a draw just this past weekend. But you just mentioned two of the best players currently playing LGFA, Sinead and Blaine Mackin, together on the same team. That's going to be so exciting to watch and I cannot wait for that. Good luck to her. Um, and she's in good hands with yourself and it sounds like it's an opportunity of a lifetime that she's ready to take. That's a new signing, Mike. I'm just going to give you the three first names of the following players because these are the big re-signing headlines. I don't even have to give their second names. That's how popular they are now. Ailish, Cora and Breed. Take it away. Yeah, three three massive names all being re-signed. We obviously had hoped that they would be. We kind of knew they would be, but still you got to wait for the official announcements to come out. And uh, we joked last Monday that Cora was going to keep us waiting a while, but it, it, that actually came out just at the start of this week. Cora and Breed confirmed going back to Sydney, a double announcement. That's absolutely amazing to, to see the two of those heading back and, and great for the Giants, obviously. Um, so I'd imagine that uh, Breed is actually going to head off soon enough and Cora probably sometime around the middle of J- July with her media commitments and stuff. But that's a massive boost um, for the Giants, obviously, to have two senior players like that coming back. Um, obviously, we don't need to talk in any detail about what they bring to the table, what superstars they are, how brilliant they've been at AFLW. Cora is one of the main stars of the game in general, not to mind the Irish stars. So yeah, double Giants heading back. And of course double Giants and a double AFLW champion, Ailish Constein, confirmed as well as we as we knew was coming. But again, just waiting for that announcement on her way back to Adelaide Crows and she's buzzing for that, potentially heading over there in about two weeks at the start of July to uh, join up with the Crows again for her fifth season and um, unreal. She's got two premiership medals. She's played in three grand finals. She's the most successful Irish player to date. Is she going to add to that? There's very a high possibility that she will. And this time around, she's going to have another Irish player at Adelaide for the first time. And of course, Neve Kelly is heading out to Adelaide in a couple of weeks as well. So can't wait to see the two of those join up together at the Crows. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, that that move has certainly strengthened the Crows and keeping Ailish there. Obviously, he's going to one of the best players in Australia, as you said already, and what a record she has and uh, what an opportunity for her now to add to that record for the coming season. And from a personal point of view, I know Breed, and I'm delighted that she's going back. She deserves it. And same for Cora. What more can we say about either of these two players? It's fantastic news for AFLW, fantastic news for Irish women in sport to see these women back, uh, and deservedly so, with, with contracts and uh, playing professionally. So that's the re-signing. That was the headline. But how many more new players, Mike, are likely to be announced or that you know that are coming in the coming days now? Well, that takes us up to 18. At a time of recording, we are up to 18 confirmed and official. And in terms of new players, there's two new players that I've been working with. We're still waiting on the official announcements to come out, but they are on the way. So that is going to bring us to 20, which is absolutely phenomenal. We've speculated about that number for a few weeks. So without the official announcements being made yet, we will have another Irish player going to join Anya Tai at Fremantle, which is very exciting. And we will have another Irish player going to join um, Aileen Gilroy at her new club, Hawthorne. So lots of uh, exciting matchups and pair-ups and new teammates coming there. But yeah, two more on the way, 18 signed. We're almost definitely going to hit 20 unless something goes wrong in the next few days. Uh, we're always waiting for these official announcements just to let us out in the open. But yeah, we're going to get to 20. So I think two more along the way and that takes us then up to the draft, basically. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. 20 will be something else, but even 18 uh, even eighteen as it is, is a fantastic number. Now, you mentioned the draft. I know from American football how the NFL draft works, but in AFLW, draft nominations are now open. So what is the draft in terms of the AFLW and how does it work? So basically, yeah, it's, it's similar, I suppose, in, in, in terms of the draft that you mentioned there for American football and NFL. So as it stands now, all clubs are allowed to have signed up to a maximum of 27 players out of their roster of 30. Now, some, some clubs are at 27, some clubs are at 26 or thereabouts, but no one can go over 27. So every club of the 18 teams is heading into the draft uh, with three spots to fill. Draft nominations um, will have closed on Tuesday the 21st, so they're going to close by the time our podcast goes out. And then the draft takes place on June 29th, so approximately um, eight or nine days' time. So on that night, uh, you're going to have... 18 teams by three picks, you're going to have 54 new players drafted. Now, the, the vast majority of those players will be young, up-and-coming talent from Australia that, that have been watched and nurtured over the last number of years. So you'll probably have a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-old Australian girls. Uh, there is an outside chance, very outside though, this year, more so than ever, that we might see another Irish player picked in the draft. But the beauty of it is you do not know. There's All the names are nominated and the clubs will pick. There's obviously a draft pick order. So um, the expansion teams will get the, the first few picks in each state. So, th- so they'll pick off the best of the young talents. And uh, then the teams that finished lower down the ladder last season will get the next run of picks. And then maybe by round three, you'll get to a situation where every club then will be picking an alternate pick. So lots of excitement on that night. Normally... The draft would take place approximately a month before preseason would start, so there'd be a, there'd be a chance that if an Irish player from here at home would get picked up, they'd have time to sort themselves out and get their visas and flights, which generally takes three to four weeks. Um, at the moment, obviously preseason has started, so the draft is taking place after preseason started, purely because of the change in dates and how everything happened so so quick. So. I am working with a couple of Irish girls. I have a couple of Irish girls in Melbourne and in a few of the various cities that are based in Australia that, that are having a crack at the draft. So you never know. Hopefully we might get a surprise and, and get another one over the line and maybe get up to 21. But, but regardless, um, it's great to have the interest there and it'll be 
a big night anyway with, with 54 spots to be filled. But that's generally how it works. So the last three spots then in each roster should be filled uh, within draft night or the day or two after. Excellent stuff. Just when we thought it was all about to calm down, preseason was about to hit, and now we have all these headlines and all these Irish players heading to Australia, getting ready as we edge ever closer to AFLW season 7.0. Mike, I'd say good luck and an, another busy week uh, ahead of you, but I don't need to tell you that because you've had nothing but busy weeks over the last few weeks, but enjoyable ones all the same, I'd imagine. Oh, very enjoyable. Yeah, sure. Look at it. It's amazing. It's, it's up the walls. It's crazy. It's hectic. Um, as well as helping all the girls off the pitch, we're working on the pitch now frantically because preseason is underway. So the girls are still here at home are, are, are doing some doing their work, doing their running programs, doing their strength and conditioning programs, meeting up for skill sessions with me individually, meeting up with small groups of the other Irish players and, and working through it. So all working hard, all keen and eager to, to get over and get stuck in. And we'll see all that develop across the next uh, few weeks. And at the rate it's going, season seven is just going to fly in. So absolutely buzzing for it at this stage now and can't wait to see how it all unfolds. As are we here on the big red bench. Mike, take a break, buddy. Just see if you can take a break for the rest of the evening. And we look forward as ever to talking to you again next week. Thanks for your time. No bother, Joe. Thanks, Will. Talk to you then. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. The Big Red Bench's Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie is back for another episode to review the Canadian Grand Prix weekend in Montreal. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz stepping up his game, Max Verstappen beginning to look like the 2022 world champion, virtual and real safety cars spicing up the weekend's racing, and much, much more. It's that time of the week again here on the Big Red Bench, where we're joined by our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, to run the rule over the Montreal Canadian Grand Prix. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Good. Excited to be talking about Montreal. It was actually turned out to be pretty interesting in the end. It did. Um, a lot of virtual safety cars, but in a good way this time around. It didn't actually take too much uh, away from the whole um, uh, from the whole spectacle itself. But um, from from obviously look the result point of view, Max Verstappen putting in, in my opinion, of it, of his six wins so far this year, definitely the probably the best uh, performance wheel to wheel from uh, qualifying as well in conditions he qualified in and holding off signs from Ferrari uh, to win it. How impressed were you with Max's performance? Yeah, very. I think very. It was sort of like a complete drive. You know, you see drivers put together a complete race um, every once in a while. I think you could consider that actually maybe a complete weekend even for Max. Um, obviously, as you said, did really well in the wet on the Saturday in qualifying. And he built up a pretty significant gap ahead of science, you know, pretty early in the race as well. He looked very dominant. And he his, maybe his only moment of panic is when Lewis Hamilton leapfrogged him in a pit stop and I think maybe he just had like deja vu from uh, from last year but you know then obviously was able to to take that spot back pretty quickly and I mean he held off sites brilliantly I think you know especially with the cars being able to follow each other more closely this year I think he did a fantastic job there um yeah really couldn't couldn't fault him at all to be honest and what about science? Because um, we don't really t- we we've spoken we've touched on it a couple of times just about him. Obviously, Charles Leclerc and more was for him, but he he tends to grab a lot of the headlines because he seemed to be the Ferrari number one. But science's performance um, as well uh, uh, noteworthy. One hundred percent. Again, I think the most complete performance we've seen him put together in a Ferrari, and I think he really needed it. Like, you know, we're kind of a, over a third, you would say, into the season now. He's had lots of bad luck. You know, we've bemoaned that many times before, but I think 
he just he just did a really solid job again from start to finish leapfrogged Alonso as soon as the DRS was enabled pretty much at the beginning of the race and looked pretty strong I again I would say the only maybe um the only maybe criticism I would have is that he did he just didn't chase Max I thought he would I would thought he would chase him down quicker I will say that he got very very close in the end but I didn't think it would take him as long to close the gap so I was kind of surprised at that just the the sheer dominance, I suppose, that Ferrari did have, or that Red Bull did have over Ferrari speed-wise, um, but he did he did really well. I think the the full safety car worked out really well for him in terms of a tire change as well, which is is always great. And right after that safety car, obviously there was no DRS for two laps. And in fairness to science, he still managed to stay within a second of Max without that advantage. So again, like delighted for him, and I think he really needed that boost. As you say, unfortunate that, that Leclerc didn't have better luck. But I think, again, it's better than Ferrari coming home with no points, which we have seen um, earlier in the year. Indeed, we have. Uh, yeah, I think unfortunate and Leclerc, that should be on the side of his, his, his cockpit now at this stage because, <laughs> look, engine change, fine, you go to the back of the group. But getting up to fifth, I mean, that's a very, very good, uh, like he was up to, he was running high uh, considering the situation he was in. But look, mm-hmm. I, I, any any thoughts just very briefly that would science overtake just in terms of his consistency to clear at this stage if he, if he goes on to the next couple of Grand Prix and, and finishes higher? I was just going to say maybe if he pulls some really good performances out again the next couple of races, it might be more of a level playing field where at the beginning of the this the year it kind of definitely looked like Charles Leclerc was the number one driver and we were kind of having that conversation. I think if science can pull out another few really solid performances, he would probably be challenging him for that. Indeed. And something to look forward to for Ferrari fans for a change. <laughs> yes. See how that pans out. Now, unusually, uh, reliability issues have been a topic that you've covered for, for us, basically focusing in quite a lot of Mercedes and Ferrari. But this time around it was Red Bull and um, an mm. unfortunate one. Yeah, I, I felt bad, you know, for Checo. I think, look, he's, again, had a very up and down season like many of the drivers have had this year. I, I think this is certainly the year that I've talked about reliability the most in any you know capacity in, in F1 I think things were quite standard for so long that you know the way things have been shaken up has has definitely affected the teams and their ability to to get reliability and performance sort of on a, a level playing field and Red Bull haven't been you know they've been sort of able to escape many things but they haven't been able to escape that so I did feel bad for Checo but look I he's he's seen it all he's done it all I have no doubts at all that he'll come back and uh, and be stronger for it. We would we would imagine so. Um, you mentioned as well before we started recording how interesting would this race have been without the virtual safety cars or the even the full safety cars. What what do you mm. think would have happened? Unfortunately, I think it would have been a bit of a bore. Mm. I I really do. I think especially that last you know the the final full safety car where we had I think it was sixteen laps of racing left, um, and we obviously got to see that fantastic battle between Verstappen and Sainz. That wouldn't have happened, I don't think, as I mentioned earlier, with the, the time it was taking for Science to chase Verstappen down. I think Max probably would have cruised to a victory there. And, you know, we saw some other really good scraps as well further down the field. You know, we had Bottas, Alex Albon, um, you know, actually both Alfa Romeos had a really strong weekend. Joe Guan Yu had probably his best race, I think, of his rookie season so far. So I think, unfortunately, it would have been it would have been quite boring. Um, but luckily, luckily, they did um, they did come through, and you know there was the rain on Saturday as well to kind of mix things up a little bit too. 
Indeed, there was. Now, we talk about my favourite topic, Ferrari off. Now, let's talk about yours, which is Lewis Hamilton. But first, Mercedes <laughs> finishing third and fourth yet again. And uh, a, a fantastic podium for for, uh, for Lewis going from, you know, driving the worst car ever and not, not knowing if he'd be able to walk properly ever again to now being in, uh, you know, ecstatic and, and, and thinking really positive about the season. I mean, is it a little bit too much ex- ecstasy coming from uh, Mercedes in this or are they on the right track? It was very bizarre. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was very bizarre. Um, you know, there was a clip of Lewis on Friday or Saturday where he actually struggled to express how hard it was to drive the car. He just kept saying, I'm so sorry, the car is so bad. Like, I don't know what to say. And then to pull out the performance that he did on Sunday, it's, you know, again, they keep harking back to, oh, you know, we're trying to experiment earlier on the weekend. And if it doesn't work, we throw it out and we kind of do something closer to what George has for a setup. My thing now is like, is it worth keeping on banging down the door of the experimenting if, you know, by going with a more kind of standard setup or whatever you want to call it, you're getting podiums. I think, you know, for the rest of the season now, maybe they need to think about potentially just trying to get the best out of the car you know, across the board where they have been doing a lot of experimentation with Lewis. And I think potentially time to ditch that now. And I think, you know, ob- obviously he's thrilled with that podium. So that might drive him towards a decision there as well. Yeah. Who knows what's going on in the background, I suppose, with contract <laughs> talks and things like that. As you said, I suppose they want to keep him there as long as they possibly can. Somebody of his caliber, but oh, I don't know. It's, it's with Lewis, it's either it's, you know, it's, it's everything is rosy in the garden or, you know, it's the end of the world. I mean, it just even uh, somewhere in the middle, I think would help him uh, between here and the end of the season it would be great to see Mercedes get that, get the parts and bring them along. But my, my, my thought on this is that Max is ready to go over the horizon. I don't think there's anybody, if he drives like he did this past weekend in the next couple of Grand Prix, and if he maintains that kind of um, real smooth driving, uh, I, I'd be, uh, am I wrong? Is this, is this beginning to look like a, like a one horse race? I think, I think it's a it's an unusual one where Max is like very clearly out front, and I think it's going to be a team effort, but I, across teams to sort of like chop his chop his point scoring ability down. I think it's not going to be you know where last year we had Red Bull versus Mercedes. I think it's going to be Red Bull versus Ferrari plus Mercedes plus everyone else on the grid essentially because you know. They're not that far away, the rest of the teams. It's just that the performance plus the ability in Max is the real killer combination. So I think, you know, assuming that they don't have a disastrous rest of the season with reliability, I think the rest of them are almost going to have to gang up on him to, to you know, have any chance of somebody pipping him to the post. But I agree, he looks, um, he looks supreme at the minute. I think it would take something pretty serious to rattle him. And I, I don't necessarily right now see where that will come from that's fair i suppose yeah it's uh, a few interesting weeks and a few interesting grand prix ahead definitely and there seems to be a lot of uh, netflix to be delighted and there's a lot of storylines developing as the season goes on as yes. we leave the uh, montreal grand prix behind us we take a quick check of the driver standings in 2022 f1 max verstappen now 175 points six wins and seven podiums he's ahead of sergio perez in the other red bull on 129 charles Leclerc still hanging in there in third on 126 with the ferrari george russell one of the most consistent drivers of 2022 is fourth on 111. Carlos Sainz Jr. in the Ferrari on 102. And in the constructor as well, there's only one real 
out and out winner, even I'm admitting it at the moment. Red Bull out in front, <laughs> 304 points, followed by uh, second place Ferrari on 228 with uh, two wins, of course. That, that's why they have that big score. And uh, Mercedes on 188, McLaren 65 and Alpine on 57. So another in- incident-packed weekend. Uh, Max Verstappen at the top, Red Bull going well. Lots to look forward to, I'd imagine, though, over the coming weeks and months with the um, with the next round of uh, a Formula One Grand Prix. Before I let you go, Sarah, uh, it's been in the in the in the press this week a lot about the future of the Grand Prix. North Melbourne signing up for ten years for the next ten years for the Australian Grand Prix. But a headline in, in the Guardian during the week that the likes of Spa Francorchamps, the Belgian Grand Prix, even Monaco, because the money in F one seems to be going east now. Um, to the likes of Qatar and, and to the likes of Saudi Arabia and also in America because there, there's talks of perhaps even more uh, Grand Prix besides the Miami one. Uh, what's your take on that? Is Are we looking at the start of, I know there's like, they're looking at 25 Grand Prix mm. a year, but that's slog for everybody involved. What's, what's your take on that and which way do you think this is going to go? Yeah, I, I think I am a bit concerned, to be honest. Um, you know, we've, like you said, we've seen it go kind of east and west. There's also been chats about a South African Grand Prix uh, recently. And I think there's there's a couple of issues. Obviously, politically, Formula One has not done a great job of um, racing in countries where all the drivers are happy to race or fans consider that it is acceptable to race. You know, we had obviously that incident in Jeddah earlier this year and you know at the same time you have the pedigree of somewhere like spa or somewhere like monaco that you know like the heart of formula one is in europe and that's undeniable look at the history that's where it lies that's where it came from and i would be very sad i like i've 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 downplayed the value of monaco many times but i'd be very sad to see you know essentially um these these legendary tracks disappear from the calendar in favor of all new things i think you know there's a way to have a good mix um there's a sustainability issue can't be flying all over the world all the time flip-flopping back and forth between continents i think there's a huge amount to go through there and i my personal issue is that I don't necessarily believe in the leadership at the top of Formula One to like make the right decisions there for the right reasons. I think there's unfortunately, as we've seen in the past, a lot of money grabbing and a lot of putting putting the money first. And I, ju- I just wish they had a bit more moral fiber underneath those decisions. Um, personally, as as a fan, that's that's what I would love to see. Yeah, I think this is going to this story is going to get some legs. I think as, as time goes on and more money floods into F1, unfortunately, I think the likes of Monaco, I agree with you. It, it, it's, it's a mainstay in Europe is where it's based. It always has been, but I think that's going to change more and more money floods in as more Netflix series begin Who knows where this whole uh, thing will end up. Um, Sarah, it's been brilliant talking to you again. Thank you for your expert opinion. And where can we find you online? Yeah. So I'm delighted to say that my driver, my interview series with W Series driver, Sarah Moore is now on my YouTube channel. So if folks want to look up my full name, Sarah McKenzie and add the hashtag women in motorsport, you can find that there. And uh, yeah, had a great chat with Sarah. Really cool to, to speak to someone who's actually in the action W Series. Excellent stuff. Brilliant talking to you again. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to discuss an historic week for women's rugby both inside and outside the province. Nicole Cronin becoming Munster Women's Player of the Year. Senior status motion passed at Women's Rugby AGM. 
and next year's club, provincial and international calendar are all discussed with Wendy. Delighted to welcome Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan back for her regular slot here on the Big Red Bench to talk all things Munster Women's Rugby and Women's Rugby in general. Wendy, how are you and welcome back. I'm great, Jerry. Thanks very much for inviting me back on. Always a pleasure. Uh, before we talk about one of the big topics, of course, which is the women's AIL and the status of women's AIL clubs, we have some great news in that Nicole Cronin has been voted Munster Women's Player of the Year. Fantastic news for the individual and fully deserved. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just, you know, I mean, a great advocate for the women's game, but just a great all-round player, um, you know, and very well deserved. She's been, I suppose she's been in the game a long time now, even though she's still relatively young and um, a Limerick native and um, would have played most of her rugby, I suppose, at scrum half. And in the last two years, she's moved into the out half position and that has seen her, you know, being called. We've talked about her actually on, on this podcast um, has seen her called back into the Irish squad where she played um, at 10 this season and had a great you know it had a great season and everybody's just absolutely thrilled for her um, but it's not her first accolade she was in 2014 she was the women's sevens player of the year and after that year she had a wonderful year in 2014 that's when she got called into the Irish squad um, in, initially um, but yeah it just, I'm just absolutely d- delighted for her to see her get rewarded for all the hard work that she puts in um, a real honest hard-working uh, player yeah, a popular and a well-deserved uh, accolade for Nicole Cronin. The name has certainly been cropping up here on this podcast, as you said, throughout the season. And good luck to her and congratulations to her. And hopefully she'll go from strength to strength from this. Now, last week, the big emotive subject that has been going on for some time, the senior status for women's AIL clubs and what it means. I suppose the easiest place to start, Wendy, is can you just break down what exactly happened last Friday and what it all means? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, people are probably wondering, you know, what, what actually happened in our definitions, in our bylaws with Munster Rugby, it recognised the AIL as the men's AIL, but was not inclusive of the women's AIL. And I suppose we've got to remember that the new format of the women's AIL is a new format um, for the game in the, in the last two years. So there was a vote to change two aspects of the definitions. And I suppose in, in it, what they're doing is they're recognising the women's AIL now in conjunction with the men's AIL as equal. And as such, a club that has a women's AIL team can be deemed a senior club. And you might say, what difference does that make, whether it's a junior club or a senior club? I suppose with the senior club, you have a delegate to the Munster branch, the Munster committee. They have six votes at the AGM. They're put on a presidential rota. Um, They get an international ticket allocation of 200 tickets. Um, So there's lots of things go with being a senior club. Um, that wouldn't be the same for a junior club. So, and I suppose a lot of the media has covered Ballincollig and all of this. It is equally as important for the girls that play women's AIL with uh, UL Bows that they have that recognition as well to be recognised in conjunction or, or, you know what I mean, as, as equal to their men's. So um, I was delighted at the AGM to see, I suppose, I, you know, you look around the room, it looked like a unanimous decision, um, a unanimous vote and that clubs all came in behind it. And um, look, another historic moment for Munster Rugby that, you know, the men's and women's AIL clubs are now, you know, deemed as equal and recognised as equal. And as that's a hugely important moment for uh, women's rugby, both in Munster and outside, as you said. But I think it's also important to state here that this was an emotive subject. It was quite a lot of emotion and social media was, you know, was brimming with, with when, when it didn't occur, when people expected it to occur previously. But the way you've outlined it there, this is not a straightforward, it's not a straight, it's obviously a straightforward decision in terms of 
the progression of equality and for women's rugby, it's obviously it needs to happen. But for it to happen, there's a lot of things that have to fall into place too. I mean, is that a fair comment? Yeah, absolutely. There's consequences then to where your men's teams play as a result of being a senior club. Um, like we won't go that into into that here, but hmm. like in Ulster, they look at senior teams as opposed to senior clubs. So you know we debate debate whether that would be a better option. So there was, and, it, and you you hit the nail on the head about emotions. Um, and like I'll be the first to admit, I did shed a tear at the AGM, um, when the vote went through because I suppose we put so much energy, you know, into you know researching what was the best option for Munster and how this would, um, you know, uh, turn out. You know what I mean? Would it go through? Um, you're diluting the you know the pool of tickets for the senior clubs by entering another team into it, um, and then you know there's the also the debate about there's no promotion or relegation for two year two years in the women's AIL, so they have another season because COVID has interrupted things that there's no promotion or relegation, um, whereas there is in the men's. So there was lots of debates around the topic, understandably, but it has come to the right conclusion, um, you know, and um, yeah, I'm just delighted for the, for all the girls involved. And, you know, I think it's really important, too, for our young girls coming up that they see themselves, you know, they have aspirations to play in the AIL and they will now see themselves as, you know what I mean, as equal. Excellent. You know, as, as it should be. And uh, it look, it is a very important moment for Monster Women's Rugby and for women's rugby and for women in sport. So congratulations to everybody on your committee and everybody that voted in the clubs to move it along may not be it might be a rocky path like anything like this whether it's male or female when you make these moves things take time to bed in there's there's obviously speed bumps along the way but this is the right path and it's a really important moment and, and good luck to everybody and well done to everybody as i said on both sides and committee and clubs to getting to this point uh it is, yeah. a, it is it is a historic moment i think we will look back in a good few years time Wendy when I'm not doing podcasts and you're no longer chair you'll probably still be chairperson no, I definitely won't my last year. but I, I, but, uh, I will say you know I, I as I said like you know I mean I was definitely emotional about it because I suppose I've been involved a long time and I've seen the developments but I did enjoy the, bo- the glass of bubbly when I came home that evening good. I have to say well deserved now with all of that of course fantastic news comes a whole season of planning that has to fall into place so I, my understanding from what you've what you've told me before we start recording there's an international season put in place and now there has to be a women's AIL season whole plan put around that as well is that correct absolutely so you know we have a new Irish coach they've done very well this season so he's looking to the season ahead and the season plan so I suppose they've been in fairness they've been engaging with the stakeholders now I think we've been talking about it the last couple of months of uh, you know what the pathway to the green jersey will look like you know what I mean for the coming year um Greg believed strongly that the pathway should be club province then your country and with that in mind, um, so the season plan for next season has changed again. Um, just when we thought we were settling down in, in, into a, you know an embedded season, so the 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 club, I suppose, the women's AIL will now start on the tenth of September. Um, so that's their league format. We'll start on the tenth of September and we'll finish before Christmas, with semi-finals and finals taking place on the third and, and the tenth of December, respectively. And following Christmas, then we'll have the WAIL Cup competition which will have a slightly different format, so it won't be knockout um, straight away. And that'll start on the 7th of June. There'll be a slight interruption then because the Interpros are moving from September and they'll begin in January and they'll take place over four weekends, concluding on the 18th of February. That will allow the players to go back and finish the WAIL Cup competitions. And then on Paddy's weekend, the Irish players will be called into the Six Nations camp. And then we can all look forward to the Six Nations beginning on the 25th of March. 
So, um, you know, lots of planning going on around those lots of dates to be considered. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said, um, you know, the season's over and everybody takes a breath. The season's over. We were waiting for the under 18s season plan to come out. Now the women's AIL season plan has come out. So now we go about planning our own. Um, and you might say that the, you know, that the, that it would only affect two clubs in Munster, but that's not the case because our two best adult teams will go into another All-Ireland competition. Okay, so that's part of the season plan when we look at the WAIL season plan as well. Um, so they'll go into a, a junior competition. So that interrupts another six weekends and that'll probably be the promotion and relegation in the future for the women's AIL. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the season coming to an end, but it doesn't really end uh, from the committee's point of view because there's so much planning, whatever about fixtures, but there's all the additional planning for the new season to come and with these new dates. But it's good, I suppose, Wendy, in that people now know, they at least they have an idea of when things are happening. They don't have the exact dates around when it might be happening, but you know the windows of when Interpros, when under-18s, when the Cups, and especially with that league going between September and December, which I think is a really good idea because players want games and they'll zip along. Uh, up to Christmas and they'll get that league finished. I mean, uh, that, that's part of the planning, but there's, there's a huge amount of work to be done over the next few weeks for you, yeah? Yeah, and just clarify that they actually do have the dates now of all their matches. Oh, sorry. Oh, so it's not even, yeah, it's not even a window, so they don't have who they're playing on those dates yet, okay. but that'll come in the next couple of weeks. But they do have exactly, you know, match one, match two, etc. And all the dates are scheduled in for the, inter, including the Interpros. So, right. um so it just makes things a lot easier and I suppose a lot cleaner. And as uh, Greg would say, the Irish coach, he said, you know, I'm 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 the head coach, but I have 10 assistant coaches and he's referring to his women's All-Ireland League coaches. He refers to them as his assistant coaches, which is a very healthy outlook and very inclusive. So he travels around to not just the matches, but also the training sessions. Brilliant stuff. Um, just when we thought it was getting quiet, just when we thought we had made decisions and everything was going to calm down, we're, we're, we'll be just about ready and over it and the whole new season will be starting again. But look, this these are these are positive times for, for women's rugby. It's not just Munster and uh, it must be lovely to be a part of it and lovely to see it coming to fruition because a lot of hard work has gone into it. Yeah, I mean, even today, um, our under-17 camp began in, in Limerick there. Um, today in Limerick IT, you know what I mean? It's split between Limerick IT and Kenturk. So it's lovely to see it going to different venues. So it's gone to Kenturk this year, you might say, you know what I mean? But we're trying to find more central locations, but, you know, reward clubs as well that are developing the game um, so that they can bring people from the community in and, you know what I mean, watch the girls training uh, and see what women's rugby is all about. Um, I suppose, you know, trying to showcase it as much as possible. But yeah, look, it's a busy few weeks ahead now as we look into planning for, for September. I can't believe we're actually verbalising that, but um, look, it's a, it's a very healthy position to be in. Indeed it is. And listen, congratulations again uh, to yourself and your committee and everybody in the clubs that voted through the senior status for WAL clubs. It's a big moment and, uh, and a very important one too. And again, I say well done to you and to everybody behind the scenes and all the clubs that have made it happen. Wendy, every week there's something to talk about and I've no doubt next week will be the same. Thank you once again for your time here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks a million, Joe. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. The Big Red Bench was in Clane, County Kildare last weekend to cover Cork versus Donegal in the TG Car All-Ireland Senior Football Championship. I spoke to Marie Ambrose, Laura O'Mahony, Libby Coppinger, Kiro Sullivan, Katie Quirk and Emma Cleary following Cork's important win. Donegal manager Maxi Curran and Cork manager Shane Ronan also spoke to me about a proverbial game of two halves and I look ahead to Cork and Waterford's All-Ireland Clash next Saturday. We'll also hear from Cork Under-16 LGFA manager Dominic Gallagher about his squad's preparations for their upcoming All-Ireland Under-16 A semi-final 
against Cavan. Uh, Marie Ambrose, congratulations on getting the win. How tough a battle was that, though? Um, yeah, really, really tough. Um, I suppose we knew, like, we've had good battles with Donegal through the years, and they're a, a strong, tall team. Um, so, yeah, we knew we had to be at our best, and I think we did that in the first half, and, you know, for parts of the second half, it did go a bit kind of helter-skelter there for a little bit, but we battled down the ropes again, and we got over the line. It was a tough physical battle, but you got off to a great start. You had a good score at halftime, a good lead. What happened in the second half? Um, I just think maybe, you know, a few decisions even were questionable and it just, you know, maybe a little bit of panic set in. But I think the main thing, we, we regained our focus again and we got the job done. Um, playing a team like Donegal, there's a bit of a gap since the Munster final victory down in Clarny. Were you feeling it a bit there out in the pitch at the start? Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose we haven't played now in three weeks, I think. Um, so, yeah, like it's a quick turnaround now again till next week, only one week. So we'll reassess, we'll train again during the week and we'll go all out again next week against Waterford. Yeah, like this game will bring you on. You do a lot of training and you've gone through a big six-week block there that's obviously stood to you, but it's this championship minutes and in the legs is the big thing at this time of the year, yeah? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's all That's all you play for, I suppose. You know, there's only six weeks left. Um, so, yeah, we're going to give it our all and hopefully we'll be there at the end of the season. Yeah, you're going really well. You seem to be enjoying your football and getting a run as well. I mean, this is exactly where you want to be. Yeah, no no better place, I suppose. Um, that's, that, that's why we do it. You know, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, we'll train hard again. Best of luck. Thank you very much. Million. Uh, Libby Coppinger, it's been a busy 48 hours, to put it mildly for you, but victory for Cork Senior Camogie and now victory for Cork Senior Footballers over Donegal. Congratulations on that. Today was a tough, a really tough outing for you, though. Yeah, um, we knew coming up here it was going to be an absolute battle. We saw last weekend's game, so we knew what they were going to bring to it, and we knew we just had to work extremely hard and, you know, I suppose, take the chances when we got them. And thankfully, we got a bit of a score, built up a score in the first half, and then had to see that in the second half but we made hard work of it. Yeah I was going to say the first half was a really impressive performance you were moving the ball well you got the two goals but the second half they seemed to slow things down and frustrate you it's not the first time you've encountered this before but look positive you saw the game out you got the late points and you got the win. Yeah exactly um, I suppose talking at half time we knew they were going to bring bring it again um, but look I guess we just had to weather the storm they were always going to come at us and thankfully we got the couple of scores at the end to see us out we're just happy to get the win up here and move on to Waterford next week. And that's the thing, less than a week now to turn around for Waterford, but good news for you and that you and Maeve don't have to worry about any more clashes because it doesn't seem anyway currently in the current fixtures that that's going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, we just wanted to get through this weekend, you yeah. know, play yesterday, get the win and, you know, come out injury free. And then thankfully we were right to go again today. Um, but yeah, hopefully another busy few weeks, please God. Absolutely, and the good news for you as well is you put in a serious shift today and you, you, played, you played your part, especially in that first half, of building that lead. But the second half, you knew this they were going to come back at you. I think people kind of forget that Donegal are a serious team. They got a victory over Waterford and it's going to be even tougher for you against Waterford now because you know each other so well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose we've got the first points. That's what we wanted. We just needed a win today. But um, we're under no illusions. Next week's going to be just as hard. Um, so we have to bring our A game. Sure, they, they want the win to get through. So it's do or die. Um, but that's what you want. Business ends of championship so we're, we're happy to be there and we'll give it our all next weekend and hopefully just finally it's going to be a successful season for you and Maeve on two fronts because like, you're going well in the in the camogie you've got the winner you don't have you, the, the Tipperary game is irrelevant in terms of stopping you from going through but from your own point of view it's fantastic that you're able to balance it as tough as it's been made on you you're balancing it and you're coming out the right side of it 
Yeah, I suppose it, it's been um, a busy few weeks just with all the group games. But um, Shane and Matthew have been um, brilliant to just manage our load and look, af look after us either way. Um, and, you know, just make sure that we're not you know, overcooked. overcooked yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, we're just taking it game by game. That's all we can do. And please, God, next week will be the same thing. Excellent stuff. Congratulations. Well done. Thanks, million. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Laura Manny, excellent win here against Donegal in the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship, but that was not easy. No, look, we had a good first half. We can't lie about that, but I think we went out a bit nearly complacent. And even though he said in the dressing room beforehand, I don't know what happened to us, but I think it's a learning curve for us. Look, it happened to us in the semi-final against Mead last year, and the positive that's coming out of it is we didn't battle it this time. No, you didn't, and you, but they really are. They put it up to you. Forget that this is a really good, talented Donegal team, but there, there seemed to be an awful lot of frees, maybe too many, I'm not too sure. But the defence, you stood out, you stood firm near the end when you had to. You, you kept them out and Darren picked off a couple of scores. Yeah, look, it was tough in the first 20 minutes. They kept popping over the freeze and things and they got a few goal opportunities. But I think that's something we were working on in training the last couple of weeks, just um, being consistent in the back line and trying to keep the foul limit down. So the fact that we got over that and then pushed on showed our character as well. Bombing up from half back, he picked off a point again. You must be pleased with that. Yeah, look, scoring was never my my strong point, but I think um, they wanted the wing backs to kind of stay back a small bit this time. But when the, when it opened up, I said I may as well. Um, looking ahead, Waterford. Aside now that you played on two occasions only recently, and you played them quite a lot down through the years, they know what they have to do. They're coming all guns blazing. You know they need that victory. You're going to have to improve on today's performance. Yeah, exactly. And if you watched last week's game between Donegal and Waterford, like it came down to the final whistle, and Waterford showed fierce character. Um, they were down a good few points and came back, and then it was nip and tuck between them and Donegal. So I think if it happens us again next week, um, I think we need to push on. The 20 minutes won't do next week. Um, but hopefully now we'll get to win next week again and push on. The benefit being 60 minutes under the legs or 70 minutes as it was in the end, this is really going to bring you on better than any training session. Yeah, exactly. Look, we're, we're looking for games, uh, the type of games we want to play. Um, Waterford have a week rest now, so it kind of depends whether we want to push on and ignore the tiredness and stuff. Looking forward to it? Yeah. Excellent stuff. Well done. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Katie Quirk, congratulations on that victory. Hard earned and Donegal really put it up to you. Yeah, they're a very tough side. Like it was very physical, and it kind of went down to the last two minutes. Even they were very good. Like, but we grounded out anyway, and we got the win. Thank God. Three weeks since the Munster Championship win over the Munster final win over Kerry. Were you feeling it a bit? I know you've been training quite hard, but is there, there's nothing like getting that those championship minutes in the legs. Like it just seemed like it took you a while to get going, especially in the second half. Yeah, I suppose we got off to a very good first half, and like we kind of made good use of it, and like they were always going to come back into it. But um, like that now, it's it's all about playing the games, and like when you have a tough side like that, it's every minute counts. And I suppose we kind of just grounded out, and we kept the head down, and that was all we wanted. This is a tough forward line to break into. There's some serious experience and talent there, but you're getting your minutes and you're making an impact when you're coming on. Yeah, um, oh sure. Like the forward line's unbelievable, and even at training, like it's it's all about just getting the I suppose the few minutes here and there, and just I suppose trying to make some bit of an impact and not slow things down when you come on. But like when you have the girls around you and they're just bringing you up, and it's like it's it's an easy one to slot into. Yeah, it was difficult for you today because you were under the cash there when Donegal were picking off all those frees. You had to do a bit more defending than attacking than you would have probably liked. Yeah, I suppose, and when the yellow card went off as well, it kind of threw things up in the air. But um, I suppose it was kind of just about um, trying to get it up and not giving away those frees, which was, I suppose, kind of tough when we, we had a nice few of them. But um, yeah, it was, we, we were happy with it now in the end. 
Um, does it help that the next game is only a week away that you have very little time to, to worry about or you just go straight back out and, and take on Watford again? Yeah, I suppose it's all about kind of getting recovered now and just getting the head right for, for Watford again. Like They'll be a tough side, but I suppose just a couple of days now it's just taking it easy and keep the momentum running and getting a, getting a good start for them. But from your own point of view, great to see you in a Cork jersey and as you said, you're getting your chances and those scores are going to come. Yeah, hopefully now, sure. Like I'm happy out now with getting a few minutes here and there and like um, like that now, it's just hopefully I'll get one or two and keep it going and as long as we get over the line, I suppose, it doesn't really matter who who's getting on the board. Excellent stuff, well done. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, Emma Cleary, um, a great first half from Cork, a tough second half where you had to withstand the Donegal fight back, but look, you got the win, that's what you came here for. Yeah, exactly. I think the most important thing is we got the win. Um, I think we saw them there against Waterford last week and the, the work they put in, we knew um, it would be a tough 60 minutes today. Um, probably felt we were better in the first half, but look, we, we saw it out and we had a last uh, strong 10 minutes there. So um, yeah, the most important thing is we got the win anyway. Um, a couple of changes in the lineup, but the quality of this squad is shining through now. Even the people that came off the bench, they made an impact, and you're going to need all those players as the championship progresses. Yeah, definitely. Like the competition, I always say it, to make the first 30 is huge, no mind the first 15. So um, I suppose that's a great thing that we have. We have such a strong squad and like players to finish out games as well. Um, it's not just about 15 players anymore um, to get us over the line. It's the 35, six girls pushing every night at training is what it's going to, what's going to get us over the line. Um, a weird day in terms of the weather, dull overcast and windy at the start, I know the sun is coming out there for the last 10-15 minutes, but it seemed like it was hard going. Was that to do with the gap between the Kerry match? Was it, I mean, three weeks is a fair, fair bit of time to be playing championship? Yeah, uh, I suppose, um, like, it's not that sunny, but like, it was very warm out there, I think all the girls thought that, um, and I suppose um, it was a bit of a gap, but we had a hard three weeks there, and um, I think we did we did put it in the first half, and look, it's going to only be getting warmer, the summer conditions will hopefully now, from now on in, so I suppose we'll have to get used to it. Very true, and just finally, looking ahead to that Waterford game, it's coming around the corner, you don't have that much time to think about what, you've done your job here now today, I suppose the short time frame it gives you time to focus in on them and this is a team you know well at this stage yeah I know geez, we're sick with playing them at this stage but look they won't be happy having lost their first game against Donegal so we know that they're going to come out all guns blazing next week and we just have to be ready for them uh, Kira O'Sullivan a victory for Cork over Donegal hard earned um, but you'll take it but I suppose the first half performance excellent second half performance they really came back at you but you got the job done Exactly, yeah. I suppose if you were to give us a five-point win coming up today, we'd have taken our arm off for it. So overall, very happy. Um, as you said, very good first half. Definitely lots to work on in the, the second half. Like We knew Donegal would have their purple patch, but I suppose it lasted longer than we would have liked. So that's definitely something we need to work on going forward. You must be pleased with your own performance, even though you never say it, but you set up your sister for a cracking goal in the first half, and that proved a crucial score. Yeah, I suppose we, literally, as we lined out, Finn said, lads, there's going to be palming goals here, and we did, you know, we, we threw it across and got a, a palming goal. So, yeah, I suppose, happy when they come off, had some ridiculous shot as well in the first half off my left leg. I'd say if I was still there, it wouldn't go over. So, um, yeah, still loads to work on, but I suppose, as a forward line, we were happy with how hard we worked to pin him in, and, you know, that means it's putting pressure on the balls into the like of Geraldine McLaughlin, Karen Guthrie, etc. So um, I think we were happy with that aspect. Yeah, whatever about the second half performance, this is a decent Donegal team, not to forget. They beat Waterford, they're in the mix, like they look like they may well be going through. And this will the experience of this for the younger players is hugely important for Cork. Exactly, like Donegal are a great team, you know, that Ulster final against Armagh was some game and could have gone either way. Um, so we knew we were going to be up against it and the likes of, as I said, Durling McLaughlin, Karen Guthrie, Van Bonner, you know, their forwards, Nicole McLaughlin, they, they have serious, serious players. So I think any day you beat them, you have to be happy with that.
And from Cork's point of view, only a week away now to the Waterford game, very little time to turn around, but you'll be looking forward to that. A team you know well. Exactly, yeah. Um, six days, I suppose, is short, you know, for a championship battle, but it's where you want to be, you know, recover now for probably handy enough training Tuesday and then work on things um, Thursday again. So today or this week now is all about recovery, really. You know, we're not going to get any fitter or faster, so it's just about watching the injuries and, and being right for Saturday. And from your own point of view, injury-free, playing really well, you must be happy. We're not going to jinx it now, but great to see you running, <laughs> moving so freely. Thanks, yeah. I don't know, at 31, if you're ever injury-free, there's always some niggle there. But no, in general, look, um, so as we've all the hard training done, so it's good to be able to enjoy it and playing in nice pitches and good weather. So um, long may it continue anyway. Good stuff. Congratulations. Thanks very much, Sharon. Uh, Maxi Curran, commiserations on the result. That second half performance, he ate into Cork's lead, um, really fought back. But was it a disappointing return in the first half that cost you in the end? Yeah, 100%. Look, we didn't. Uh, we just never got out of the blocks at all in the first half. Um, uh, I know we got a goal early on, but look, we just we just kicked too many balls away and we were just probably too porous at the back. You know, they got through their scores too easy and uh, look, we just we left ourselves with a massive mountain to climb at, ha- at half-time. But look, they made, a, they made a great effort at it. You know, they made a good fist of trying to break it down and um, we got down to three points and, you know, um, we, we, we thought we had a free in in front of the goal, which would have made it two, which would have put us, um, would have made a real, um, you know, tight finish, but look, it wasn't to be and you know credit the girls for the second half it was it was uh, a real honourable effort but look we just came up short um, the win over Waterford has you in a decent position that you know the outcome of whatever you'll know where you stand after the outcome of the Cork and Waterford game but that performance against Waterford and the defensive effort were you just disappointed to give away so many frees or so many points, scores in that first half yeah, yeah, look, that's exactly it. Look, you know, Cork have some fabulous players, some of the best footballers there, you know, the likes of Keira Sullivan, just a top, top player, and she causes all sorts of bother in the first half. And look, we probably got to grips with her a bit in the second half, you know, and I think that had a big hand in, in tightening the thing up for us. Um, but uh, look, because I say, ultimately, probably the, it'll be the first half, it'll be the one that, uh, that cost us here. And just finally, your impressions of Cork? Yeah, look, they're look, they're a really slick. I've looked, nobody has ever in any doubt as the quality this core team have, um, and uh, you know, even though they've lost a couple of players, that, that doesn't seem to have weakened them. You know, they found a couple more. Um, that's really, you know, really making a, you know, a, a, a massive impression. You know, plus the, the likes of you know Libby Cobbinger playing playing the two games. You know, it's a credit to her um, to be able to do that, and you know, credit to the you know, the Kira and Duran O'Sullivan and and the Mornabi girls. You know, for the, for all they've done over the last couple of years to be still you know so hungry for it. It's a credit to them and fair play to them. Look, we're Wish them all the best in the competition. Uh, Shane Renee, Cork Senior Manager. The job is done. You beat Donegal. Really good, impressive first half performance, moving the ball at pace. The second half, Donegal came into it a little bit too much, probably for your liking. But in the overall scheme of things, getting the win under the belt, how happy are you to have, that, to have the, achieved that goal? Yeah, so, uh, to be honest with you, Joe, I, we're, we're very happy. Um, you know, if you'd offered me five points this morning, I suppose, but. I suppose based on what we did in the first half, you know, there's probably a small bit of disappointment, but I think we have to look at the overall context. Things are Donegal are a very good team. Uh, that first half, we just got a great run in them. We played some brilliant football, kind of football, I suppose, we've been trying to play all year that we haven't really got, you know, got going in. Um, so, like, but I suppose the second half was disappointing, and I suppose that 20 minute period where we only scored one point. So we're going to have to look at, it and I suppose we're going to have to manage the game a bit better. I think in those periods of time, because teams are teams of Donegal's quality are going to have have periods of the game where they control it. So. I think we really have to learn, I suppose, how to manage that time in the game, not panic as much, um, you know. And I think, I think that's a big learning we'll take out of today that we've got to learn. I suppose it was, you know, it was a, there was a bit reminiscent of last year against Mead, you know, um, just a bit of panic stations. And I think the players, I suppose, that's something we've got to work on, work with them, because I thought they played some great football, 
for long periods of the game. And especially, I think we finished out the game very well as well. I think, um, you know, we controlled it there for the last 10 minutes. Uh, brought Kira back. Darren kicked a couple of big points. Um, you know, so we're very happy with that. And, we, and obviously, we'll be very happy with what we did in the first half. Yeah, it's coming together because I've seen it against Kerry, saw it in the National League in flashes, but it's coming more and more and more like that full 60-minute performance that I know you're aiming and the management team have been really battling for. It is coming, but the fact is people shouldn't forget the quality of the Stony Gold side either. Like, they're not a bad team. No, look, they're very good players, especially up front. Um, you know, Van Bonner, Karen Gutcher had a great game, uh, caused us lots of problems, and Jarlene as well. Like, so... And there's loads of players out the field like who are, I suppose, we tried to negate um, Neil McLaughlin's influence again. I thought uh, McCleary and Melissa did good jobs. You know, we, we gave them a half each of it, and I, had, I thought they did a very good job on that. Um, so, look, we, we, we fully respected Donegal. We had we our homework done, um, you know, and I think we've got to realise that, you know, this is the quality of team we're going to be playing against. So, we've got, we, we've got to start putting in, I suppose, getting that 45, 50 minutes out of ourselves, maybe 55 minutes. You know, I suppose it's very hard to get 60 all the time, but... I think, look, I think we're building, um, you know, we're, we're going along quietly. Uh, people are working very hard. You know, we got, got time into Breed O'Sullivan today, who had, I suppose, that was our first competitive game of the year, um, which was very important for us. You know, Ferris and Libby got another 40 minutes out of her after playing 60 last night. Um, you know, we're, we're very happy with it, like, you know, and I think, you know, we're building all the time. And I think there's lots of, lots of good players. Like, Sarah Lee had a great game, I thought, midfield today, first start for midfield, has been found very well, first cornerback. But, you know, we, we tried that today, and, and we're, we're, we're very happy with the way it worked out. So, look... We know, we know we're going to have to be very ready for Waterford next week because they were very impressive last week and they should have probably won the game. Yeah, and that's the thing about Waterford and Pat Sullivan. Like, you've met each other, this is the third time in a, in a short period of time. Like, it's not that you don't know each other, but that's the focus now for the week has got to be on that game and nothing else like in getting that victory. Absolutely, look, we spoke inside the dressing room there, Jordan, that that game is parked now, stunning dusted. Um, there's no point in us, um, I suppose, uh, being being delighted with ourselves today and not going out and doing the job against Walford. And we've only half the job done. Our, our, our aim was to top the group. That's what we wanted to, wanted to do. And beating Walford, or beating Walford will finish the job first if we do it. But we know we're going to have to be very ready for them. Because I was in Burr last week, they were very impressive. Uh, as I said, they probably should have won the game. Uh, they don't fear us at all and uh, you know I think that's what we've got to, have to make sure that in our heads and I suppose they've had a little bit of an Indian sign over us yeah we've beaten them the last few times we played them but I think you know uh, we, we hardly haven't performed to the quality we, we, you know with, and I suppose the standards we want to perform to they probably haven't left us so I think we need to focus on ourselves big time now um, during the week get the bodies right look there's going to be a lot of sore bodies today that was a hard tough game so look, hopefully everyone will come through it and um, we'll have a full squad to pick from again next week because it's going to be a huge game Excellent. Well done on today, everyone on the Big Red Bench. Well done, Shane. Thanks, John. Now, delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork Under-16 LGFA manager, Dominic Gallagher, ahead of Cork's Under-16 All-Ireland Football Semi-Final against Cavan, which takes place on Wednesday, the 29th of uh, June in Nina. It's been a while since the Cork Under-16s were in action. That was the Munster final back in April when they defeated Kerry. But because of the age profile of the players involved, similar to Camogie, with exams and everything else that's happening, uh, that's why there's a gap between the Provincial and all Ireland Championships. Firstly, Dominic, uh, it's very good to talk to you again. It's been a while, but how are things? Yeah, very good, Joe. Uh, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, great to be back uh, together on the other side of the exams and went uh, well, to next Wednesday. So, um, since Kevin and Nina, um, a bit of a, an unknown prospect, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, from you and your management team's point of view, what have you been able to do um, between the Munster Championship and the last couple of weeks? Because obviously, with exams, it's not it's not a straightforward time of the year for a footballer. Well, we we I think we've uh, we've fourteen girls who are doing the junior sort, so um, you know, like we continue training throughout. So, like we give them a little bit of time off. No, but I, I suppose 
but for most of the girls, um, actually just just getting out on the pitch for um, an hour every couple of days actually actually helped them out a bit. So um, you know they they got a little bit of time off, but they they were quite happy to to trade away and you know um, as long as their parents were happy, we were we were happy to go with that. So look, we kept things going as best we could. Um, but it's you know it's it's difficult you know it's it's, it's a big time for girls and I suppose you know the junior start hasn't happened for a couple of years either like everything else so um it it might have appeared bigger to them than um you know other, other years uh, so you know we had to give them that space and so we, we just kept going and going as best we could and the girls have trained really well you know like we're we're really happy with what they've done but it, it's difficult you know there's such a break um without a competitive game is really difficult you know you. you you can't beat games. You can't beat competitive games, and um, we've had competitive in-house games. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's we don't really know where we are. We think we're in a good place, um, but we'll I suppose we'll find out against Cavan. <laughs> you certainly will. I suppose the one good thing from your point of view, Dominic, is that Cavan and the other semi-finalists, Dublin and Roscommon, are in pretty much the same boat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's the same for everyone. Um, so the Ulster final was played maybe two weeks after our final, so um, you know they played a bit more recently. But yeah, it's, it's exactly the same, really. Um, so we have the complication of with eight dual players as well, and you know Cork are heavily involved in that, and they're going to be in the championship there, and um, they're playing they're playing either side of our semi final, you know, um, either weekend. So you know those eight players have, have three big games in. in Seven eight day period, so that that's that's tough going for them. After going, you know, mm. you know, eight or nine weeks without a competitive game, getting out that three games in, in a week, um, so we'll uh, hopefully manage that. But we're in the middle of that, so hopefully it won't affect us too much. Yeah, I mean, it is really all about game management for those particular players because, as you said, they've gone from nothing to three competitive inter-county games in that period of time, hopefully four from your point of view as well. Um, but these players, I suppose, in one sense, Dominic, the good thing is that they're used to it because they've been dual players at the 14 grade as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, they're, they're modern pros, really, if you like, you know, that can use the term pro. But, you know, you know, they apply themselves very well and yeah, so um, yeah, the, the, the relationship with the, with the Camogie, you know, between the myself and Donny has, has been really good. You know, we're we're in regular conversation, you know, every week really, just to, to see what the girls are doing and uh, just managing their load. Um, you know, they don't tend to um, tell you when they're in in, in trouble or they, you know at the start. So they're they're much better now at letting us know if they've got a nickel or they just need to rest a bit. And it's, it's quite natural that they would need to rest if they're playing us playing a training at a very high level. So uh, we're really just trying to manage that. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful to Donny for his cooperation with us. And uh, I, I think we're getting through it okay. Excellent stuff. And just finally, Dominic, from your own perspective, and certainly for these players, because you've seen quite a lot of inter-county, inter- inter-county underage football down through the years, what would qualifying for an All-Ireland final do uh, for this particular panel? Yeah, I, I, I think it would just, you know, it would kind of, Rubber stamp what they what they've done. Like these, these they're an excellent bunch. I, I think you know they're one of the best bunches that that I work with. Like they're they're very talented. They're they're they've got great potential. You know what we're trying to stress to them all the time. It's, it's not about winning a championship in 2022. It's about you know playing football in in into their 20s and maybe on into their 30s or whatever. You know still being competitive right throughout their adulthood and uh, you know enjoying their football and bringing it back to their clubs, but you know, winning an All Ireland, an underage All Ireland, we call it, it's it's a, a C 
seal of approval for, for, for the way they're going, the route they're following. And it's, it's something that can't be taken away from them. You know, I pointed out to them that, you know, they all have monster medals. You know, they have more monster medals than me. So, um, they're hard won. Championships are hard won. So, um, I'd be delighted for them to, to get into an All-Ireland final and experience that and uh, see how far they can go. But look, we're really only focusing on Kevin and, and, and taking it one step at a time. Excellent stuff. Wednesday week, uh, June 29th at 7 o'clock, uh, 7.30, apologies, in Nina. It's Cork versus Kevin in the All-Ireland LGFA Under-16A semi-final. Dominic, we won't be talking to you between now and then, but we'll certainly be talking to you afterwards. All the very best of luck to you, your management team and players from everybody here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks very much, Chair. Talk to you soon. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. It is a massive weekend for Cork Camogie with the county's senior, intermediate and under-16 squads all in All-Ireland Championship action. I spoke to Cork senior manager Matthew Toomey ahead of their Glen Dimplex All-Ireland showdown with Tipperary, intermediate manager Trevor Coleman prior to the Rebels travelling to Owen Beg for their top-of-the-table clash with Derry, and under-16 manager Donny Daly ahead of Cork's Tesco under-16 All-Ireland group encounter with Galway. Now, thrilled to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork Senior Camogie uh, Manager, Matthew Toomey, following his side's 16-10 to 10 point victory in the Glendimplex All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship against Waterford last weekend and looking ahead to their final group game against Tipperary. Matthew, you're very welcome back. Thanks, Joe. Um, 16 points to 10 victory down in Walsh Park. It's like a cliche, but it is true. There is no easy time to go to Walsh Park and get a result there. But I would imagine from you and your management team's point of view, you've had a few days to look back over it. You got the job done and you got the result you needed. Um, I think that's the exact point, yeah. We just went down there to get the result. How we did it, we didn't really care. Just We just didn't want to go into the last game under pressure. Um, so, yeah, it was, just, it was really good. Um it was a great kind of battling performance, like because like the Waterford started off with I think it was eight in the back. They put two back, two sweepers, so they, that showed their intent for the game, I suppose. And um, we found it hard at times to break them down. But um, I, I, like in the second half, I don't think we were under major pressure. Like when we were always kind of a bit stronger than them, and we pulled away at the end, which was great. Seeing as the fitness and the players as well, but you have to be happy with it. As you say, going to watch Park is not um, the easiest place to go to, and they would have to come off two good wins as well. So. They, they did all play for because if they beat us they would have gone to the semi-final pending if they won the last game but we would have put them in the pole position so it was a pressure game but we were delighted the way their players responded um, The momentum gained from the previous games I suppose and like the tight matches that you've been involved with Matthew especially that, that game that went extra time in the Munster final with uh, with Clare are these are these the kind of things now that benefit you when it comes to meeting a, like a, a mass defence and a team that's that's trying to break you down? Definitely um, I, I, I think I've said it, like, we've gone into all these games um, as favourites, so every team has a kind of a, a free puck off us. They can, you know, they're throwing everything at us, you know, because we've nothing to lose, and we have to kind of respond in different ways. Like, but like the character of the team is just incredible. Like, you know, they're, you know, I suppose all the games that we did have, we we learned an awful lot from each game, and we like, we, you know, for positive and negative sides of that. But um, every time we try to fix something, like the players come up trumps, like it's 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 great. Like they're they're very very easy to work with. Um, but like we're learning all the time, you know, still from the Waterford game. Yeah, we're happy with the results. Was the performance perfect? No, it wasn't. But it, we're still learning, we're still improving. So it's, it's, you know, it's a positive kind of a outcome, really. 
Yeah, before we talk about the forwards and the spread of scoring, which is a constant theme when I speak to you, and it's a good theme to be talking about, let's let's give a word to your defence, because um, Amy Lee coming up trumps with a brilliant penalty save near the end, but also your full back line, Maeve Murphy, Libby Coppinger, Maeve Cahillan, helping restrict Waterford um, to uh, four points from open play. I mean, that's serious going. Yeah, it was, because um, um, you have Rockers, I suppose, in the Monster semi-final, um, I suppose she put um, Maeve Callan under an awful lot of pressure. We could switch Libby onto her. Um, we, we've ferocious fate in Maeve because she's just a, you know, she's a Callan, she's just a fair heart. And uh, we, we've told fate in her Mac and Eve Rocket the other day, and I think she held a four point or something. She was excellent on her. Libby was the same. Maeve Murphy, when they played eight in defence, we put it, Maeve Murphy up forward to follow her player going up the line, and she got the first score on the board, which was, you know, she's still only 18, 19 years of age, and she's still improving all the time. So, Defence and Ashley Thompson was back centre back and she lauded it there. Like, so, very, very pleased with the defence, yeah. It must be pleasing when you mention Ashley Thompson there, um, her versatility. I mean, it, it's not an easy switch to go from midfield to centre back and hold down the 40 there, but to do it and still be as effective as she has been. Is this her most consistent run of games that you've seen in a Cork jersey for Ashley? I, I, I would say it's kind of reminiscent of one of like, is she in her prime now or was she in her prime previous? I don't know, but like around 2014, 15, she was unstoppable. Like, but it's just um, her attitude this year has been incredible. You know, um, she's a total leader on the field and there's, there's nothing a problem for her. Like, we have chops and chains around the place. We've thrown her full forward. She's in the field, sent the back, and not an initial to, uh, issue to her. She's just, you know, her, as you say, her versatility is, is, is a massive asset to us. And, you know, like, she was a great leader and you know, talking to the players and encouraging them on, on Saturday, which was great. Like So, massive plus for us. And uh, it's like the weekly slot, but Katrina Mackey weighing in with four points. Amy O'Connor coming in with her usual total of four and Clean Healy with three and Laura Hayes as well with two. But Katrina is another player. Her hand, her hand I think, was as heavily strapped, but it didn't uh, didn't prevent her from putting in yet another excellent performance. No, and like we took her off because she got a second. She got a knock in the first half. It was a, it was a pretty poor tackle, to be fair. On her, um, and you know, she insisted on continuing, and she got another knock in the second half before she got the four points. Like, but we just we, we had a bit of kind of a gap, but we, we took her off. And the first thing I said to her was just her, her attitude out there was absolutely incredible. You know, her work rate, you get the scores from working hard, like you know, and, and, and that's what the case. And Cleena Healy being back was a massive plus. You know, she is she's probably almost formidable player in the league. She got injured in the league final, that was her first start since then. So, you know, she she still will get better, but she just got um, the 60 minutes under her belt. But, like, she she's just a class act as well. So, we're like we're, we're lucky with the forwards we have, but the, the the whole ethic of the team is is the work rate and the scores will come with the work rate. And, and you know, they've proved that now again, yet again. They certainly have. And it's as a result of that fourth consecutive victory in Group 1 of the Glen Dimplex Senior All-Ireland Championship table, Cork are now through to a semi-final by virtue of the fact they have 12 points, maximum points they could have gotten. Um, but the, the runners-up berth is still very much up for grabs. Waterford on six, Dublin and Tip on five. And I suppose it begs the question, uh, uh, Matthew, your next game and your next day out, your final group game is at home to Tipperary, which is, is excellent in the fact that it's at home. But Tipperary have something to play for. So from the management's point of view, you know, because there's such a gap to the All-Ireland semi-finals that you've now qualified for, what's the thinking? Is it that we go... We go with a strong team here. We go with whatever we have um, because you need the you need the match sharpness coming into the semi-finals. Or will you experiment? Or have you made up? The, have you made your mind up on that decision yet? Um, I would say that we will be putting up as strong a team as we can. Um, like from last Saturday to the semi-finals, a five-week gap. 
So, like, if we don't put out a strong team against Tipperary, we'd be looking for a challenge match to get the, um, a game for the players. So, it makes no sense. Um, I suppose when you're dealing with the coach that we have as well, um, he'd argue over two flies going up the wall. So, <laughs> you know, he he wants to win this game as well, desperately. That's the first message I got off him on Sunday, like, as well, which is, is, my, is my way of thinking as well. Do you know, if, if we have to tinker a bit with us, maybe we will. But we would be mostly going to go with a strong team just to get a performance. And I think just to be to be fair to the other teams who are battling for, you know, instead of us kind of holding up their hands and even tipsy, that's certainly not a team that we were even thinking about. Excellent stuff. And just a general question to finish on, Matthew. Look, you've done your bit. You've qualified. And this is exactly where you and the management team wanted to be and the players into a semi-final with a game to spare. But the rest of that group is very, your group is very tight. So we don't know who else is going through. And the same as for group two, Kilkenny and Galway are meeting, but they're joint top on nine points each. Are you seeing a kind of levelling off in terms of the quality at senior level? Obviously, you've got the favourites. There's Galway, Kilkenny and yourselves who are out in front. But the likes of Waterford, the likes of Dublin, Clare as well, even though they've had a very poor championship, they've had such a good run-in coming into it in the Munster Championship in the National League. Um, what is the gap closing to the top teams or is it still early days? No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think the, the, the standard of Camogie has, has risen like in, in, I think, the nine years I'm involved in it. Uh, since I started in it, um, I think the the standard has gone way way higher. Like um, the, you know, like I I, I think the, is it the physique or is it the, the rule changes? It's the, it's the skill levels, it's the fitness. It's, 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 it has definitely come up. Like every game we played, I think I said two weeks and weeks ago, mm-hmm. we, were del- we were delighted with this tough group because we know we'd be under pressure for every game. And you know, I'd, I'd say four or five years ago, that'd be the case. I'd, I'd say we would have a couple of hammerings in, inside there, like but we we didn't hammer anybody. Um, you know, a lot of teams kind of are you know, aggressive in, in the play and all that, which is the rule changes, which is great. But as you say, Clare, yeah, they were probably the best team we played outside of Galway this year um, in that Munster um, final. So they were unlucky. We just, I just think that the, the, the run of matches caught them out. But all the teams, even the other side of it now too, um, like you know, down in Antrimor, I suppose fighting for their, for their, they stay up and all that. Like, but Limerick and Tipperary, like, or Limerick and Offaly, sorry, they're, they're coming as well. So, yeah, the, the, the standard's definitely gone up. It's definitely way more an easy spectacle to watch as well. So, look, it's, it's all good for the Camogie. It certainly is. And the good news for Cork Camogie, uh, with four matches gone, you've already secured your All-Ireland semi-final berth. But on the 2nd of July, your next day out in Parkering, you'll be at home to Tipperary with a 5pm throw-in. Until then, uh, Matthew Toomey, thanks very much for joining us on the Big Red Bench. Thank you very much. On the line now here on the Big Red Bench, we are joined by the Cork Intermediate Camogie manager Trevor Coleman ahead of his side's trip up north to take on Derry in Owen Beg on Saturday in the Glen Dimplex uh, group, sorry, group two of the Glen Dimplex Intermediate All-Ireland Championship. Trevor, how are you? Absolutely great, Josh. And look, looking forward to the weekend ahead. Look, hopefully a win and we go straight, straight through to a semi-final. You know, so again, the group is still in our own, own hands is what, what we wanted at the start of the year. You know, to be fair, so... Again, look, all good. We uh, we took a break after the last game. We get the goals, we come back to the club for the week. We did a bit of yoga at the first week as well. And we went on um, with the all Sunday, went to training and uh, training tonight and training tomorrow night. Uh, looking forward to the game ahead. But look, there's, there's a good atmosphere in the camp. A few niggling injuries that we need to worry about. But you'd expect that at this stage, fair week in, week out, you know. Yeah, uh, does the two-week gap help you as a manager and a management team? It does help heal injuries for players, we know that. But in terms of momentum, and considering how well you've been going in this championship, would you now have preferred to play Derry last week? 
Uh, probably not, Joe, to be honest, looking at the GPSs and the stats of the last game, we were slightly down on where we like to be. Mm. And if you look back to when we played the league, we played for about three weekends in a row and we went in to play the fourth game. And again, we, we struggled. It was the answer game, actually. We struggled. We thought we struggled. And look, so we thought this week the break would do us the world the good. We left them back to their clubs, took them away from Camogie for a cock Camogie as such for a week. And look, they came back very fresh on the morning. We had a good session for the morning. So I think it suited us um, uh, this time. But again, the, the proof would be in the pudding for how we, how we react on, on Sunday against Derry, you know? Yeah, because you've won three out of three so far, but you're playing a team in second place. Who've, uh, Derry have already beaten Meath uh, 214 to 11 points, and they beat Kildare away 114 to 18. Um, and then they had a cracking game with Kilkenny 27 to 18, in which they lost. But this is a serious team, uh, Trevor. I know you would have come across them down through the years, but in terms of an opportunity for Derry Camogie to make an impact here, like a win here puts some joint level at the top of the group with you with one round of games to go. So this is going to be a real test for you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a real test. I think the winner this morning like, they will come out top of the group even though I still, I think, God forbid, if we did lose the game, it's still probably in our own hands going into the Kildare game to score in difference. But, look, to be fair, Derry probably were famous going in against Kilkenny. Kilkenny put it up to them and I know Kilkenny aren't the bad side either from playing them. But we played Derry already in the league. They came down to us. Look, again, they, they travelled down the morning of the game. It probably took them 20, the first half to get off the bus, as we call it. And we, we, we only ended up getting by three or four points. So Derry are a good side. You know, again, it's the whole scenario has changed out. We're travelling up to them. So again, it's what we're, we're going to react after this journey and how the players are going to react. But look, I think we've, the planning has gone excellent to be fair to the Cops County board. They've backed us 100%. They're putting us up, um, they're setting up to Derry and the Saturday. They're putting us up the night before the game, which helps us an awful lot. Like we couldn't expect the girls to travel seven hours on Saturday or Saturday and play the match Saturday evening. So they're ready to be fair to them as well. Agreed to move again to Sunday. So we're travelling up Saturday at 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll get up there. We'll do a light pop around. We'll go for grub. We'll stay in the hotel. And uh, look to be fair to the car county board now. They're after backing us. So it's up to us now to put it, give it back to them on the field on, uh, on Sunday, you know. That's huge, Trevor, from a player's point of view, certainly from a management point of view in terms of planning, but getting the, the good night's sleep and not having to make that journey, that's huge for you, and it's it's great to see that happening. Oh, it's massive. It's, it's a huge help. I look to be fair, luckily you saw with Kerry uh, two weeks ago, they, they couldn't get accommodation in Dublin, and they, they said the cost of accommodation in Dublin. So to be fair, the, the, the board are after sticking their necks on the line here for us, so it's up to us to try and repay them, to be fair. But look to be fair to the board, Trevor, they, they've been very helpful all year, anything we've asked for. We've got, like, we've a full-time strength and conditioning guy, we've a stats guy, you know what I mean? We get games, videotapes, so I, I, I can't fault them, you know? Um, I'll ask you the same question I asked your senior manager counterpart, Matthew Toomey. Are you seeing a closing of the gap in terms of the quality at intermediate level inter-county this year? Like, there's yourselves and Galway leading the way in the respective groups at the moment, which is what you'd expect. But you look how tight it is between Derry, Kilkenny, Kildare as well, Wexford not out of it in your group either, and then Westmead and Kerry going well in the other side of it. Is there a closing of the gap at intermediate level or are there still a couple of uh, counties like yourselves just that bit further ahead? Well, no, I, I think there's, there's probably still two tails. There's probably the lower section, but the, the, the top of section, the, the, the mounted teams that are competing against each other. Now, like there's probably four in the opposite group and four in our group that are very competitive. Well, all of our group, to be fair, we've probably got the worst group in the need, have been very unlucky in the three games they've lost. You know, they've only lost by now as the and so I think the, the, the gap is closing big time. And to be fair to the 
I won't say they'll, they'll left for Camogie counties, but they'll left for, or they're, they're catching up with the, the likes of Cork and Kilkenny second teams, which is which is what they, I think the, the Camogie in general need and is what they want, you know? It certainly is. And look, uh, you're in the best possible position here. You're in control of your own destiny on Sunday uh, in Owen Bag up in Derry at one o'clock, throwing Cork taking on Derry in Group two of the Glen Dimplex Intermediate Order and Championship. Trevor Coleman to you, your players and your management team, everybody here on the bench wishes you the best of luck. And thanks a million, Joe, and hopefully we'll come away with a win and we can uh, all look forward to the double header and Parky Ring the following week with the seniors, which should be a good outing as well, you know. No, it has been a while since we last spoke to the Cork Under-16 manager, and that is Donny Daly, since their successful Munster Championship uh, run and title. Uh, it's been a while, but now he's back, and he's back with his panel because they begin their Tesco Under-16A All-Ireland Championship campaign at home to Galway this coming weekend. Donny, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? Hi, Gerald. Long time is right. Uh, you're well? Oh, I'm well. I'm busy, but I think you're busier. I think that's to be fair now. Um I just mentioned the fact there, it's it's unusual, but the the gap between the Munster Championship and the All-Ireland Under-16A Championship is there simply because of exams and because of the age profile of the players involved. But what have you been doing or what have you been able to do since Cork became Munster, Championship, Munster Champions and ahead of this weekend's clash with Galway? Yeah, it's look, it's, it's kind of it's shadow boxing really for the last couple of weeks. Um, look, we're Obviously, we have about, I think it's 15 girls doing exams, uh, doing the, the junior start of the last two weeks. Um, so, no, in fairness, and they've all trained, they've all, they've all turned up on the Tuesday, Thursday and the Sunday for, for training, but it's all been non-contact. Um, it, it, that's all we're able to do. Um, so, look, we, we concentrate on the skills. Um, you know, look... These girls, they've, they've an awful lot done since November, so it's it's it's, just, it's only about, about keeping them ticking over, really, sure. Um, we're not trying to kill, you know, we're not trying to kill them. Um, just as a, it's more kind of looking forward to next Sunday uh, and kind of preparing for that over the last couple of weeks is what, is what we've been doing. So not not nothing not, nothing too hectic, to be honest. Yeah, because you, look, as you said, just because again of the age profile and the time of the year and the, the exams involved, it isn't it isn't easy. But you have been together and you have kept the same panel together, and it's a very talented panel. And Donny, you're going to need to be at your best heading into this Tesco Under 16A Championship because the way the draw has worked out, yourselves, Galway, and Kilkenny, the three favourites for this title, I think it's fair to say, are in the same group. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, unusual. Um, look, you know, normally in an, any given year, you you. You know, you might come up against one of those teams in the group. We've come up against Kilkenny previously in, in, in a group stage. Um, never come up against uh, Galway and Kilkenny. Um, but look, you have to play them all. You have to beat them all at some stage. Uh, the way we're looking at it, Ger, is we've, we've Galway at home uh, this weekend, which, you know, uh, it's good and we don't have to travel up to them. Um, so we've, we've Galway at home, then Kilkenny away the following week. So we're, we're out two weekends in a row, which again, we're happy with. Um, or the destiny will be in our own hands we win both those games and it's irrelevant then what happens uh, between Galway and Kilkenny the following week and that's what we're, we're, we're aiming for that's what the girls are um, are preparing for uh, win both games uh, sit back then in the tent and, and, and maybe have a, a bonding there or something uh, and look forward to a quarterfinal on the 17th that's, that's the plan yeah, I suppose that's the bonus for you and your management team more than anything, Donny. Your destiny is in your own hands. So whatever permutations about who comes out of the other groups or who gets into a quarterfinal or whatever, um, you just got to focus on beating Galway first and then wait for the Kilkenny game and probably look to do the same. Yeah, ex- exactly. And look, and we look, 
Joe, we always tell the girls that, you know, um, when they go out training with us on a Tuesday, Thursday night, you know, the hardest opponents that they'll come up against is the girl, the, you know, number 16 to 30 um, on a cock setup, you know. And if, you know, if they get that into their head and they realise that, look, um, you know, we we are um, well prepared. We we have a great bunch of girls, and and you know they know themselves that you know if they go out and perform the way they can perform and the way they have been performing in the monster championship and in challenge games, they'll be you know we take a very very um, good team to beat them. And look, we're not underestimating Galway. We uh, we went up to see them twice playing challenge games over the last couple of weeks um, before the exams, and they're very good. They're they're a solid team. Well able to score, um, but we look. We've our homework done. Um, we have a solid panel. We've look. I, I, before we go on, actually, Keely Goulding, our captain, um, has a, an operation coming up in the next week um, prior to the the, the Galway game, and she's. Um, no, we share the best of luck. She's she's been inspirational for us uh, over the last two years. It's our second year on the panel. Uh, unfortunate that she got a bad injury playing, you know, of all things basketball, mm. um, a couple of months ago. But look, we wish her the best of luck, and the, the panel panel will be doing their utmost this year to win an All Ireland for Keely. Well, that's very well said, and we echo that uh, those sentiments here on the big red bench as well. All the best to Keely in her rehabilitation. Donny, it's been a while, but I have a feeling we're going to be talking quite a lot over the next few weeks, uh, starting with the reaction uh, to the Galway game on Sunday. It takes place in Castle Road. That's Cork and Galway in the Tesco Under-16A All-Ireland Championship group match. And the following week, Cork are away to Kilkenny. They're destined in their own hands. Following on from their monster success, let's hope you and the panel have uh, even more success over the coming weeks. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us once again. Yeah. Thanks, John. Look, we'll see you Sunday. And look, what I would say to clubs, um, look, get down to Castle Road on Sunday, bring your under-14 teams, bring, you know, we want a big support down there. Um, look, all these girls, um, you know, they're, they're your club mates, uh, bring the 14-year-olds and the 13-year-olds down to see, you know, what kind of standard that they'll be aiming for over the next number of years. And it should be a good game. Indeed, it should. That's it. Thanks, thanks again. No problem. It's a 2 p.m. throw, and I forgot to mention at Castle Road, Cork, for right. Tesco Under 16 AL Ireland Championship on Sunday. Donny Daly, the best of luck to you. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m., Cork's Red FM.